Hey friends, it's your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish, here with another episode of Sly Flourish's Lazy DM Prep. In this weekly show, I go through steps from Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master while preparing for my Sunday D&D game. In this case, I am running the hardcover campaign adventure Rime of the Frostmaiden. This show, like all of the work of Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. If you want to help me out with shows like this, you can do so by joining Patreon by joining the Sly Flourish Patreon at patreon.com slash slyflourish. To the patrons of Sly Flourish, thank you very much for all your help. So right up front, I want to offer my current top tips for running Rime of the Frostmaiden. If you get nothing else from this video, I'd, I'd like to at least offer up my thoughts about how to make the most of this adventure. And really what I'm talking about are tips for chapters one and two, because I haven't yet run chapters three, four, five, six, and seven, or however many chapters there are. But I, I'm, I'm leading into those, right? I've read them, certainly. I have ideas about where I'm going. But mostly, I want to talk about what you can do with chapters one and two, because they're great big chapters with lots of things going on. And in my opinion, take a lot of work to turn into a really good, fun, solid adventure. So number one is reinforce in your during your session zero, which you should run during your session zero of of, of this campaign. You want to make sure that you before they've built their characters that you reinforce that the motivate that the, you reinforce the motivation for the characters to help the people of Ten Towns survive the endless night. This is a very strong motivation that will carry you through chapter one and a little bit into chapter two. But mostly it's about, it's not about ending the endless night. It's about helping the people of Ten Towns survive because all of the various jobs that you're doing in Ten Towns are intended to help the people of Ten Towns. If you reinforce the wrong thing, like ending the Endless Night, they're going to do a bunch of these adventures. They're not going to know why they're doing them because nothing of, none of them have anything to do with the Endless Night itself. That's number one tip. Number two is start in Bryn Shander. Bryn Shander's adventure, which is known as Foaming Mugs, is a great first level adventure. And Bryn Shander as a starting city works really well. The book offers up that if you don't want to choose one of the 10 towns, you should instead choose Bryn Shander. I think they should have been harder about that and started you in Bryn Shander. The reason why is that eight out of the 10 or 12 quests that exist in the first chapter are deadly to first level characters. But the Bryn Shander quest is one that they can survive and then get to level two. And once they're level two, level three, the rest of the quests are, are pretty manageable. The, but, but many of them are deadly to first level. And if you pick the wrong quest to be the starting quest for the adventure, you can very likely kill your characters. And that would be a bummer. Three is add the Cult of Oral as the driver for the sacrifices inside 10 towns. The, all, the town, all of the 10 towns are conducting sacrifices to Oral. It never sat well with me that the, that the speakers of 10 towns would be the ones behind those sacrifices because why the hell would I want to help them if they're murdering their own citizens, right? Now, not in all cases are the sacrifices uh, or killing anybody. Sometimes it's sacrificing beer. Sometimes it's sacrificing heat. But there's at least a few towns where they're actually killing people. Why would you want to help them at all if they're willing to let their own citizens die? But if instead you put this driver of a cult of oral, I refer to them as the children of oral, a group of oral worshipers who have convinced the people of Ten Towns that they need to do this and they are a villain, that can work really well. It's a good way to have that villain. And I like it. I like it a lot. The other thing is chapter one is enormous, way too big and way too many quests. There's like 13 possible quests in chapter in chapter one. What I recommend instead is that you pick six quests that you like and focus on those quests. Only reveal those quests. And the minute the character the, it, it put three out at a time, and the minute they don't pick one of those quests twice, it's removed from the list. And then they will basically finish four quests, at which point they will be third level or fourth level. They will have reached fourth level and then go into chapter two. Otherwise, you're going to spend forever in chapter one. I spent forever in chapter one. I spent months and months, 20 sessions 
I spent in chapter one alone. Way too big. Cut the quest down to less than half and throw about 30% of those out as the characters are conducting the other ones. Uh, I made a list of the ones that I have run that I enjoyed that I might recommend, which is Foaming Mugs, The White Moose, A Beautiful Mind, The Mead Must Flow, The Unseen, and Toil and Trouble, right? And the, even of those, it's like, I don't even know which of those two I wouldn't want to run. They're great quests. There's just too many of them. And it's it's too many quests. So focus on, focus on the quests that they're going to run. And then lastly, and this is really what I've been discovering while running chapter two, is that where chapter one had too many quests, too many things to do, given the level range of the characters and the amount of time you're supposed to spend there, chapter two has a bunch of locations that serve no purpose. And it's not even that they're like places you can just go and explore. It's that you would have been better off not going there, right? So if you think about, and we're going to talk about it today, particularly with the quest called The Black Cabin, you can make a good argument that you should never go to The Black Cabin, that's a bad place and bad things are going to happen to you. And the best you can get out of going there is leaving somewhat intact. That's kind of lame. There's a bunch of locations like that. Got cough. There's a bunch of locations like that. Uh, the Cackling Chasm, which I've used and worked really well. It worked really well as I used it on its own. It's like, it's a hole full of knolls, right? It's a big place and you go and you fight a bunch of knolls. You don't really get any interesting treasure. You don't really learn anything that, that propels the story. The characters don't sort of gain anything. It's like you go there and it's like you probably would have been better off just leaving those knolls be, right? There isn't really anything to do. There's not anything to gain. And a lot of the locations are like that in chapter two. So my recommendation for this is that in order to get this chapter, in my opinion, to work well, we need to add those motivations. And an example was in the game that I've been running, I had family members of one of the characters have been turned into mind flayers in the Descendant. So now we got a strong hook for the Descendant. And the engine from the Indescendant, a thing called the Heart of the Indescendant, was stolen by the Knolls in the Cackling Chasm. So now you have a reason to go and fight the Knolls and get the thing and bring it back. Now there's a quest, right? The book doesn't have one. It doesn't offer one. It doesn't even tell you you need one. I think you do. And I added it and it worked a lot better, right? I also added connections to the Cackling Chasm in which the reason why they're starving to death is because they had thrown a Knoll runt named Teklili out and Teklili became super powerful when he drank some weird ass blood down in the Caves of Hunger. And then he came back and said, I'm going to make all you bastards starve to death, right? I'm going to trap you in there. If you try to come out, I'm going to murder you and I'm going to leave the rest of you in there to eat each other because that's what you deserve, you bastards, right? Far cooler motivation, in my opinion. Really neat stuff. Introduces Teklili, who they're going to face later. Later, lots of hooks. The reality is with this adventure, we have to do a lot of that. It's, it's something that disappoints me about the adventure. There is a lot of work that we have to do, in my opinion, a lot of work that I am doing to wrangle this into an adventure that I'm enjoying with my group more than I would like, given the fact that I paid 50 bucks. Those are my tips. Those are my top tips for the game. But today, specifically, we're going to talk about one quest, which is the, the Black Cabin. I had expected to run the Black Cabin last week. I did not. Instead, my strong start ended up creating an entire other adventure on its own. So in the last adventure, let's see, we'll go to our, we'll go to our uh, old session notes here and we'll go to the bottom of the list and we'll go to the Sunday Frost Maiden that was August, this is a week ago. In my strong start, Gygaz Greenhood, a caller for an assassin named Shakar Ballard, was going to face the characters in Bryn Shander and tell them, you either need to come with me to Candle, the character Candle, who he's they're hunting. You either need to come with us when we say, or we're going to murder your family and everybody else. 
I thought it would be kind of a throwaway scene and then they would go and they would, they would, they would, they would travel to the black cabin and all kinds of stuff would happen. Instead, they said, no, it's, this is our chance. We're going to hunt down Shakar Ballard, find him and face him. And they did so by using detect thoughts on Guy Gaz Greenhood and he failed and they learned through his mind where Shakar Ballard was hiding. And then they got together and they said, we need to hit him. They found out that Shakar Ballard is building a mercenary army in order to go attack the Bryn Shander Community Center, which was the house of the uh, house of the triad. So the whole adventure was them going to this ramshackle house, breaking in, sneaking past the mercenaries that he'd hired, getting into the basement where Shakar Ballard is and finding him and facing him and killing him. And they did so. And it was a really big, strong fight. I had to improvise a lot. Uh, I had to improvise all of Shakar Ballard. I had no stat block in mind for him. So I ended up creating like, I took like a priest stat block and an assassin stat block, mashed them together and added some things like I gave him improved invisibility. I gave him you know, a lot of stuff. And he was really dangerous, right? He was really dangerous, really scary. But they pinned him down and they killed him. And it worked really well. The one thing I wish I had done is I, I made his, I made his spirit guardians the whole basement so that there was nowhere in the basement they could hide from spirit guardians. That was kind of lame. It would have been better if it was like only those who are adjacent to him or nearby him and then he could move around and put people in the aura would have been better. Instead, I kind of chickened out and I was like, I don't want to have to deal with, with positioning. So I'm going to just make it fill out the whole area. That was kind of something I shouldn't have done. But overall, it was people were happy. They 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 cut off this one line. Shakar Ballard is dead. I no longer have to worry about the assassins of Shakar Ballard. They saved their family, and that was great. But it took a whole session, which means we had an entire session that didn't have anything to do with the session that I had prepped, which was the Black Cabin. So today we are going to be doing the Black Cabin. So I am going to go to my session notes once again. I am using Notion to do my campaign planning. I love Notion. If you want to learn more, those of you in Twitch can learn more by following the link I just added. And those of you watching at home or listening can find in my show notes how to use Notion for your campaign building. It's really cool. So I'm going to generate a session, new session notes. Do, 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 do. Today is the 8th of August. All right. So let's take a quick look through the characters. We have Ilda. Uh, Ilda is a half-elf, half-goliath, whose uh, father is now a member of the Black Swords. He has always been a member of the Black Swords, but it's just a thing that came out. The Black Swords are knights who are involved with the Elder Evil Throne. But her father also worked with the Cult of Oral a bit. Her mother and father were both members of the, uh, the Cult of Oral, all kinds of things. So she's got lots of interesting backstory going on. That's a whole other thread that's going to take this campaign in a totally different direction. We have Shadowhawk. Shadowhawk is also being hunted by assassins, known as the Knight's Kiss. These are assassins sent by House Zalaren, who want to now capture him because of his crazy Mind Flayer ways. He has a Mind Flayer symbiote in his head that lets him drain people's uh, lives with ethereal tentacles that come out of his mouth. He's a scary dude. We have Auk and Dawncaller. Dawncaller is a Goliath of the Wormdune Crag. He has seen a vision of something under the ice. We have Gore Wan Alcazar. Gore Wan Alcazar runs the Wan Alcazar Trading Company and is trying to constantly build up that empire. We have Perrin Fat Rabbit. Perrin is a halfling who had been captured by Mind Flayers but got away before being modified, but has always been worried about conspiracy theories. And many of his conspiracy theories are turning out to be true. And then we have Candle in the Dark. Candle had been hunted by the assassin Shakar Ballard and the Xanathar no longer has to worry about that because they, they hunted down the assassin and got rid of him. So now Candle's main motivation is to just help with the rest of the group. So that's really interesting. So I really, I, I, I'm, yeah, it's interesting how things are going. So those are the characters. So what would be uh, our strong, strong start today? So they're going to start in Bryn Shander. 
And if we think about like the fronts of this campaign, the main fronts that exist right now are Zardarok Sunblight, the uh, the dwarf who is who is making a huge war machine. He's a Dwargar dwarf making a huge war machine to destroy ten towns. Something like that could occur, but I I don't know what front what what kind of grim portent the characters might get. They could have a dream about the war machine. So maybe that's a, somebody dreams about the war machine. That could be a strong start that they're resting for the night. And during that rest, they have an image of a huge shadow overtaking 10 towns and destroying it. That could be something that happens. We could have, you know, we could have another, we could actually have other dreams that sort of portend a few different things. Another dream if we want to like hit all three of the main drivers, dream of the sarcophagus of Thrun down in Yethrin. And maybe that's a shared dream between both Ilda and Ilda and Auken could both could both share that dream. And then a third dream is of the Frost Maiden. And what would they what would they what what is the frost you know? A, a dream of a frozen ten towns and of the frost maiden and maybe that's like the cover right maybe the maybe these dreams are are pictures we can actually tie to pictures for this so if we go to we can use using images is always great right so this one for example is an image we can use for the dream the war machine right is it giving away? I don't know, maybe. The other one is we can view the cover, right? That is the you know, the Frozen 10 Towns and the Frost Maiden. We don't have a is there a is there a yes? I mean there's that, but that one's kind of there's the the picture of the city itself. That's pretty good. Whoops. Yeah. So we have some cool images that we could show. So we could just do it with dreams. And the nice thing about doing it with dreams is we don't have to have a strong start where they're getting attacked by a bunch of dudes or they're even thinking, and then derail the entire thing again. Instead, we're like pushing in this direction. They have these three things, right? So scenes are dreams. You know, they're gonna have dreams. Then travel to the black cabin. We could have a fantastic location that they reach. Let's just pull one up. I probably had a really cool one. Poisonous Tomb of the Netherese, Foggy Pillar. I like the marble foggy pillar of the Netherese. That's kind of cool. So attacked by kobold vampires, which I think I was going to use before, right? I think we we're going to have kobold vampires attack them before. Then we have the black cabin. That's pretty much it, right? It's pretty straightforward. We know we're going to we know we're going to have the, the these these scenes going on here. So what secrets and clues might get discovered? And, and in this case, we know that we're going to have these dream sequences. So we can drop some secrets and clues for all three of the fronts, right? So we can have that there is a inside the buried city of Yeth. That's kind of giving it away a little bit because they haven't gone to the Black Spire yet. I don't know if they will, but maybe they don't need to. I don't know. Let's see. Oral spell will eventually freeze. 10 towns. Kind of know that. That's not really a big secret. Zardarok is building a tremendous war machine to destroy 10 towns. He is almost ready. That's kind of important. What else do we need? We can we can probably hint that I, I can't remember if we if we did it before. I don't think we have. So 
there is a secret society in Care Deneval known as the Knights of the Black Sword. The, the Knights of the Black Sword go back thousands of years to, it goes back thousands of years ago to a secluded sect of knights who guarded the tomb of Thrun, the secluded sect of elven knights in particular. So we have that. What else do we have? What other, what other secrets? So I mentioned in, so how do you, when we think about all of the different locations that exist across chapter two, we use the, we we use them to tie together important important elements that exist. So one thing is like you know we have a bunch of black cabin stuff. So the 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 what is it called? If we look at black cabin here, and we're going to talk a lot about black cabin today because it's got it's got concern. I've got concerns. The summer star right is an artifact, Macradius found near the 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 lost spire. It's Old Netherese magic and powerful Netherese magic. The heat. Oh, let's see. The, 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 the tunnels, the caves of hunger lead to the lost city of Yethrin, but are frozen shut. The summer star is capable of melting uh, the entryway to the caves of hunger. So now we've got keys. I, I mentioned before that like a lot of these locations don't have clear reasons. And Black Cabin is kind of like that. Black Cabin does have a book in it. A friends of mine reminded me of this, that in, in, in the Black Cabin, in the areas of the Black Cabin, there are there's a book apparently somewhere and there's Copper's Letter. But there is a, there is a book here that talks about Yethrin, I think. I'm trying to find out where that is. Charred book. Nothing remains of the tome except ashes, a badly burned spine upon which the characters can read Ether. It's obviously started as part of a longer title, which happens to be Magical Wonders of the Netheril. The Netheril. Characters can find an intact copy of this book in Netherese. So they can find a burned book, but they don't find the actual book, right? So you don't really find anything useful. My, my point is the summer star can be a key, right? And the key, this thing can help them move forward. When they get this, when they get this item, they can use it, use its power once they fix it to get them further in the, in the quest. And they can do so by using it to melt the, melt the entryway to the Caves of Hunger. It turns out it is a key to getting to the Caves of Hunger. So that's, that's useful, right? We've now tied things together. That's cool. What else? The Caves of Hunger lie under the Regged Glacier. Tracks of vampiric, vampire kobold tracks lead to the caves so they have a way to get to the caves of hunger right won't that get your players to the end game fairly quickly i don't know i mean there's still plenty to do right and you always have that like zardarot you throw in the sunblight stuff so you know one of my thoughts about how to run the sunblight chapter is instead of the character the way it plays out is the characters are supposed to head to sunblight and when they get there they see the the dragon flying over towards 10 towns right but what if on their way back to 10 towns 
they discover that it is under attack by the dragon. Like they haven't, you know, if they've if they've passed twice on going to investigate Sunblight Fortress, maybe the third time the, the the dragon attacks, right? And now you don't have that like weird chase that doesn't work out, you know, you know, work out anyway. The other one is I don't know if I'm going to dump all these secrets at once. So if the artifact melts their way to into the caves, they have no reason to get to the book for moral. Well, I'm changing that too. You cannot end the endless night without using the spell from the codicil of the white to do so. So I am requiring that in order to end the endless night, you have to do two things. You have to shut down the Mithalar in Yethrin and reseal Thrun's tomb. And you have to use the codicil of the white to cast the spell to recover, to, to end the endless night. So there's a couple of ways. I think both things need to happen. And that way there's a reason to do both Yethrin and Grimskull. And it doesn't matter which order you do them in. You can do one or the other. So I think, I think that, you know, yeah, Snark Knight says, it's almost like one person who writes one part of the book has to communicate with the person at the other end of the book. You don't say. Book's got problems. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. One more. So what else could they learn from either the vampire kobolds or from their dreams or from, or from at the black cabin? Something about the Netherese. How about the, yeah, we can, we can do this. The Netherese brought up, excavated the tomb of uh, Thrun. We'll call it the sarcophagus of Thrun. The sarcophagus of Thrun and used it to power their magic in Yethrin. So this is a whole other angle I'm adding in here. I really like this idea that the Knights of the Black Sword were an order of elves who protected a thing known as the sarcophagus of Thrun, which contains an elder evil named Thrun. And it was tremendously powerful. But the Netherese found out about this sarcophagus. They faced off against the Knights of the Black, the Knights of the Black Sword. And they said, we give you a choice. You can leave, you can join us, or you can die. And about one third of the Knights chose each of those. So one third said, dying is stupid and I'm not going to join evil people. So I guess I'm going to leave. And they became like the, the 47 Ronin, right? They, they left, but they've never lost the fact that this is out there. So that could be a fun hook. Two is that some of them, some of the knights did go with the Netherese and continued to guard Thrun, but they, they got kind of twisted by the Netherese magic and, and ended up sort of supporting the idea that Thrun was a great power, not just a, an evil that needed to never be touched. And then one third were, were destroyed by the Netherese on the spot. So, so the idea is that in Yethrin, there is both a Mithral, a Mithalar, but the Mithalar is being powered by this elder evil that's there. And there's a crack in the sarcophagus of the elder evil. And that's what's been leaking into fraught into, into Icewind Dale and causing all kinds of troubles. So there's lots of angles there. And, and I think one of the ideas is that Ilda's father is one of the descendants of the Netherese arc of the Knights of the Black Sword, the one that used to, the one that actually went with the Netherese. I think he's, he was a descendant of one of those. And that's why he believes like his daughter is the one who can, you know, once again, channel that power and become something. So yeah. So I think that'd be cool. So I got some secrets clues and that works out. Fantastic locations. We got the marble foggy pillar, the Netherese. This is, we're going to face some kobold vampires. Kobold vampires are cool. And then we have the black cabin, right? That's black cabin's pretty straightforward. And we'll just grab a link. So I've got it handy. Doop, doop, boop. NPCs. We have McCradius, right? Other NPCs, we have Rend Hollow, one of the best names I've ever come up with. Uh, Vampire Kobold, Speaker, Koblod of Teklili. I don't think we have any other NPCs that we have to worry about today. So I think I think we're good. We're good there. Monsters, we have Vampire Kobolds. I'm probably gonna get. Let's see. Let's take a look at the actual Vampire Kobolds. Characters are fifth level. 
Cobalt Vampire. I think they are a little weak, right? Because they only have that bite attack. But they do have pack tactics. But I don't know why they shouldn't have some claw attacks too. So we might we might add some claw attacks. But we'll probably, I, I could just use regular vampire spawn and then probably give them fewer hit points so that they're a little bit weaker, right? Say so 82, like give them half the hit points, but they still have all the same, you know, the same stuff. That probably works. The vampire cobalt stat block is just a little too weak, I think. I mean, you could throw a bunch of them in there. And that's not bad, but I don't know. Eh, that's hard to say. Their, their lack of number of attacks given their challenge rating means that like they're going to be pretty ineffective. Any other monsters? I guess there's not really a lot of monsters at the at the Black Cabin, but when they leave the Black Cabin, they get attacked by Cold Light Walkers, right? Uh, cold Light Walkers are awesome. And what do they look like? So the Cold Light Walkers, if we, we want to have a few of these, and I like it to be like people that the characters have seen before that have died. So we could have the, the Goliath. What was his name? I want to bring like back previous NPCs, right? Everybody wants Thumper to be a cold light walker. That's, it's still not a bad idea. Let's see. I think I have to go back one more than that. Uh, Orlo Skywatcher could be one. They, they faced him and killed him before. Fisher, Fisherman from East Haven could be another. We'll give him a name. Let's find a name for the Fisherman. Casimir, Casimir Budar. And who, who could be another cold light walker? Three of these things would be really rough. We could do, what's her name? Ravison. You know, Ravison could come back as a cold light walker. It's really important. It's probably it's something I wish I had done. I wish I had paid more attention to NPCs that have died throughout this adventure so that you can bring them back as cold light walkers. That she, that, that, that Oral is slowly reanimating these guys. You know, you're right. The noble son from the first session, but I don't like, remember his name, right? I got to bring him back. I can always like add a new name. So that's pretty good. There is an amulet of health here, I believe, already. I don't know if I have to drop any other interesting. They, they of course, get the the summer star. I don't know if maybe the one of the vampires has a relic, which would be kind of cool. Mass suggestion, guiding, oily, holy symbol of the Arcane Brotherhood that casts guiding bolt. Would be kind of interesting. Acid splash, prismatic spray, wall of ice. Arc ancient clockwork of tear that casts wall of ice. Delicate earring of ill matter that casts Evard's black tentacles. That's kind of cool. I, I like that one. There's a cool trinket. So that is pretty good. I don't need, let's see, marching order. We will use the marching order and that is set. So, so my notes, whoops. Uh oh, what did I just do? My notes are all set for the game today. As you can see, it didn't take terribly long, mostly because I've, I've got, I've, I've, I knew what I was kind of doing. But now let's talk about the black cabin itself, right? So, so here's how the black cabin. This is obviously full of spoilers, right? Oh, could Sephic come back? Well, Sephic was already kind of dead, so I don't know. Well, the hag could come back. Yeah, you know, could bring. They killed her, I think, and so she could. She could. No, did they kill her? Or they leave her. I can't remember. Or Sephic's victims. Yeah, absolutely. So, oh, what's her name? What about Torga? That'd be a great one. Let's bring Torga back instead of Ravison, right? She died at Revel's End. And now she, she froze to death and, and star, st starve and froze to death at Re Revel's End. And now she comes back and she's really mad at, you know, really mad at Wayne um, Alcazar because he framed her, right? She didn't, she wasn't supposed to go to jail, but she did. I think that might be cool. That's dark. So um, how to play the Black Cabin, right? 
the the black the way the black cabin plays out is that the characters go in they see that there is this shiny device upon the floor somebody goes over and anybody that's nearby anybody that's there or nearby gets hit with a blast from this thing that is tremendously tremendously dangerous does 90 points of damage dc 17 con save 90 points of damage if it drops you to zero you die right you are disintegrated and how you play this out some characters like how your players are going to react to this is really important right how your players are going to react is important and how you run this part of it i wish it helped like many things i wish it helped out more and the example is if you're going to have players who get very disenfranchised by the idea that they fail a single saving throw and they're instantly disintegrated you probably don't want to hang on to that too much right you probably don't want to make them feel like you know you're they're gone gone right if you have players who get excited by things like that happening then you can hang on to it and it's trick and you might have some players that are in it you might have some players that aren't into it so you have to kind of play it by ear and i think the way to kind of play that one out is how soon do you make it clear that the dead people are still around and that they are they have transferred over to the border ethereal and they're still there. And that's how you meet Macradius, who's in the border ethereal, and he's kind of helping you out. And then you can kind of have one group describe to the other group how they have to do things, but they have to do it through like, you know, one word sort of things and weird skill checks and stuff. They can't communicate. But the players know what's going on. Uh, I did read a Reddit post where somebody said that they actually separated out the two groups in like two different discords. And then had they, they, they said like they could only communicate to the other group in certain ways and they could slowly figure that out. And it sounded like a really neat way to do it, that you essentially split your party up, you split your group members up into one group that's in one discord and, and able to talk. And then one group is in the other discord and they can describe what's going on to each other, but they can't talk to each other and then you're passing information as they are describing from the board with you that could be a neat way to do it but i've heard other groups who say like when half the group is suddenly disintegrated by this thing the most logical thing for the other group to do is gtfo is to just leave right and not stick around and not ever touch that thing again so they don't get disintegrated right you want to make sure that you 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 give them the option so they understand what's happening they understand how to deal with it that because the, it's really easy for for the for this whole adventure to or this whole like quest here to go in a totally a direction that's just not fun. No one's excited about it, right? It can be really hard. So I think I'm probably not going to do the crazy split the group up into two things. I think what I'm going to do is have them disintegrated and then pretty much jump right to the ones that are disintegrated. Maybe let it sit for a little bit, and as soon as I feel like there's any kind of like this sucks feeling i'm going to jump to the border ethereal and then essentially we have two scenes on either side one with the group that's still alive one with the group that's in the border ethereal you know i think that that i think that that will work out but it's 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 something that we have to be careful about i think i got to be careful about this one because that that instant kill kind of thing is is not you know can go wrong right it turns out killing characters with a single saving throw can go bad sometimes and I, again, I wish the adventure, I wish this quest offered a little bit more guidance on like how to do it. Because what you're dealing with is people, this one, you know, is a big one. It's sort of like the Tomb of Annihilation, right? 
This one is really dealing with the feelings of the players. This is about the feelings of the players more so than like the things that are going on in the adventure because you're killing characters, right? You're killing characters that they love and adore and have been with. And if like Ilda gets disintegrated instantly, we're, that's sad, right? Like all these storylines, right? Candles, like, hey, I saved my family from, oh, I'm disintegrated, right? Yikes. So it deals, it deals with player psychology. And that means we've got to deal with player psychology. And we have to think to ourselves, how do the players feel now? And then what do we do to get that? And I think like the, 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 the big thing we have in our corner is you can immediately jump to the border ethereal and describe that they're not dead yet, right? And that Macratus is there. And they might still think, I don't know how the hell I'm ever going to get back again. And, you know, I think you're, this is one where you're going to want to dump secrets too, right? Like, I think we might need to add another secret, which is like, make it clear that the summer star, where's my summer star stuff, right? The summer star can transfer people in and out of the border, the border ethereal, right? So give them the idea, right? The summer star possesses, uh, the summer star's charge only works once per day. I think that, you know, you want to you want to sort of dump these things in front of players so that they don't feel like there's nothing here to do because there is stuff to do. Right. Repairing the summer star is something that you definitely get to do. So it's a tricky it's a tricky quest. Now, the good news is we can tie our hooks and we know we know how we can run. It. I've not run it yet. Right. I'm I'm thinking about it. I've got both my groups are heading to it. My, my Wednesday group is heading there on Wednesday, this coming Wednesday, and my Sunday group is heading to it today. So I'm going to be dealing with it and I will see how two different groups react to it. So I'll be able to offer some recommendations on how it goes. But I can tell that like, you know, this is one very much like the traps and tomb of annihilation. You want to know how your players feel about it before you start like disintegrating their characters. Right. That's good job. That's not fun. So we will see. I think that will be it for today. We have, all of my notes are ready because I was already kind of reading about this, this quest last week. I feel more prepared than, than the typical. I've got my notes. I feel confident. I'm excited for where the game is going to go. I'm excited to see what things happen. So I think we'll I think we'll end the show there. So I want to thank everybody for coming today. Always appreciate the opportunity to sit with you guys and prep my game and talk about it. And hopefully you find the information useful and entertaining. If you do, you can help me out four different ways. One, you can subscribe to the Sly Flourish newsletter. Two, you can subscribe to my channel on YouTube. Three, you can support me directly by going to patreon.com slash Sly Flourish and becoming a patron of Sly Flourish. And four, you can pick up my books, Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, The Lazy DM's Workbook, or any of my other books. So thank you all very much for coming today and have a great day.